0: Well, it's my privilege really to get to say to you, thank you, because that that she was talking about is the fruit, in part, of years and years of your commitment to this work. We don't get to send out a hopeful video like this, reflective of changed lives on the individual level and changing systems and structures without your long-term partnership, Um, and that is what you have been. So thank you. When she talks about that fruit, I want you to understand that is your fruit. When you guys give your offerings here, I don't want you to understand that as, you know, that's when it's over. I want you to understand that that's when it's beginning. You share of what the Lord has blessed you with, and the Lord does amazing things with it after that. And I just encourage you to participate in the missions programs of this congregation um, and to and to really weave yourself into that because the fruit that this congregation is bearing is wonderful. Well, having said all of that, I'm going to go ahead and date myself now uh, and possibly suggest a few other things about myself right out of the box. Who knows the band Leonard Skynyrd? Okay, there are a handful of you willing to admit that. That's good. Uh, they were a southern rock band that came out of Jacksonville in the late 1960s. They had a lot of hits in the 1970s. One of their most famous hits is the song that they would close their concerts out with, Freebird, because <laughs> any I preach in the South, I know somebody's going to be able to say it. Freebird is the song that they closed their concerts out with. In fact, at the end of just about every concert that you would be at in the South for a long time after Skinner, what would people yell Play Freebird, man. That's right. That's right. Whether Skinner had anything to do with the concert or not, you can actually still occasionally hear a few muckrackers screaming, play Freebird, man, because the way that they ended their concerts was uh, the Freebird was an amazing ending. There's, it would go on for sometimes as many as 14 minutes, this long extended guitar solo in Freebird. It's amazing stuff. The song Free Bird, they say that the song Free Bird is a song about freedom. Ronnie Van Zant, who wrote this song, says, you know, a bird can fly wherever he wants to go. That's how he describes the song Free Bird in terms of freedom. But at their best, I would say that Leonard Skinner let some broken honesty into their songs. It's a broken honesty they don't always seem to know what to do with, except to be honest about it. Their brokenness doesn't seek healing or freedom, generally speaking, into something new from their brokenness, but is instead something that they sometimes even double down on in what is likely best understood as a kind of a lamentable, proud, stubborn, misguided, and unnecessary resignation. They're a little defiant sometimes about their brokenness. Free Bird, a song supposedly about freedom, is actually about a guy who won't commit to settling down. And he won't commit to settling down, because he says he knows he can't change. Many of you know the refrain. I'll try to avoid singing it. If I stay here with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same, because I'm as free as a bird now, and this bird you cannot change. Oh, oh, oh. And the bird you cannot change, and this bird you cannot change," And very tellingly, he ends the refrain with, "Lord knows, I can't change." There's a resignation to himself, to his own appetites, to his own sense of his horizons, to his own inability to change, that is shot through the song. They may say that this song is about freedom, but if you look between the margins, this freedom looks like a prison. Like he's a prisoner to himself and what he believes he is and isn't capable of. He's a prisoner of the limits of his own horizons for himself. This version of freedom that they speak of reminds me of the judgment insight of yet another great rock and roll band, the Eagles. In their song Desperado, first song that Don Henley ever wrote. Crazy. What a way to start. In the song Desperado, the Eagles sing in freedom. Ah, Some of you know this lyric as well. I'm guessing many of you do incredibly famous. And freedom, oh freedom. That's just some people talking. They wrote that line in the context of the choices of the desperado, who is the focus of the song. Someone who thinks that freedom is a life without commitments, getting to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. In Skinner's words, it's like being as free as a bird. But the eagles know, actually, and they're a little bit more honest. They know that that freedom is just a prison. That's just some people talking. That prison of fake freedom keeps the desperado from making any commitments to anyone, from doing much of anything that means anything particularly meaningful to anyone. And the doors of that fake discount knock off freedom. Freedom which is celebrated by culture, but actually slavery to self, the doors of that fake freedom are often locked by hopelessness. The hopelessness, in the words of Leonard Skynyrd, that I can't change. Consider this. What if because of sinful things that people have done to us or exposed us to, we know things and have experienced things that we wish we didn't know, Things which changed us in ways we wish they hadn't. What about all those bells that we wish could be unrung, but which we fear can't be unrung? Can we only hopelessly lament in the words of one last rock poet, Bob Seeger, in his Against the Wind, I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Do those things define us? Are our horizons hemmed in by those things? Are we stuck with all of those things? Is there anything bigger or better or beyond those things? Is there any hope of going past our horizons, really, honestly? Is there real hope of new horizons? Is there any real hope of being something other than just the sum of our hurts and our inadequacies and our sins? And those of others? Is there any possibility of real change? Or must we do what we see so many in the world do? Just try and lean in, as they say, to that darkness, that hopelessness, that nihilism. Stop calling it those things and find some supposedly rugged way of plowing through it all and forging some sort of identity that is really nothing more in the final analysis than an anesthetic against that vortex of a reality, that we are prisoners of ourselves, of others, and the limits of our own horizons, and that ultimately we die. Prisoners. Taking others prisoner with us. It's pretty dark. Yeah, it is dark. And I would say that Is reality by ourselves, left to ourselves, if indeed all we have is ourselves? We are stuck with that. But, do you hear that? Maybe you do already. Coming across the mountains, the mountains of hopelessness that hem us in, there are footsteps Isaiah 52.7. I'm going to let you read it. I'm not going to read it. I want you to read it. Isaiah 52.7 is someone, someone, somehow announcing peace. It is someone bringing good news of happiness. There's a voice trying to raise itself over these dark clouds. It's someone announcing salvation. We can indeed be saved from this damnable state. It is someone saying, God reigns. The God of the universe, the originator and creator of all that is, the sustainer of all that is, breaks in and makes clear that his inbreaking work is for the salvation of the nations. Just a handful of verses later, Isaiah 52.10. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations so that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. It is, in fact, the inbreaking work of God alone that is truly and really the hope of something new, of new things. We aren't by ourselves, we aren't left alone. It is the inbreaking power of God that overcomes our powerlessness to change. It is the very nature of God to renew and to make new. You know some of these passages, but they're worth observing in this context. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Revelation one five. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's right. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true this great renewal, this great renewing work. How does God make this newness possible? How does he make things new? It's one thing to say that he does, to talk this way. It's another thing actually to make it happen, isn't it? Freedom, oh freedom, that's just some people talking. Is this just some people talking? How does God change our horizons? How does he not only convince us that there is hope of change, does the sales sales job, but then actually begin to work that change? Well, he does it through Jesus. The whole gospel of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, his incarnation as God in the flesh, to proclaim authoritatively and definitively and unambiguously the truth of God. Jesus doesn't merely speak the word, he is the word. He is the living word. He is the demonstration and very embodiment of the truth of God. And what then does Jesus say about his ministry? When Jesus inaugurates his ministry, for whom does he say that he comes? We can read about how Jesus proclaims the beginning of his public ministry in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. We'll look at that together here. What does Jesus say his own ministry will be about? For whom is his ministry? And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. I want you to observe, the book of Isaiah is really big. There are lots of places where Jesus could have scanned and dropped his finger. This is where he chose to go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, he closes the book. You want to know what the good news is? It's coming. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's an earthquake. That is the changing from one order to another. Will freedom from sin and self ever come? Is there any hope that I might see again and hope that I might see differently? Is there any hope that I can be free of the shackles of my past, my weaknesses, my own self-made prisons, or of the sins that others have inflicted on me? And the answer definitively is yes. Jesus defiantly reads that passage against the world order and against every lie to the contrary. How does he ensure that your horizons will be different? That you can change, but not only that you can change, but that you will, because that's a different thing again, isn't it? How does he do this? Through his death for your sins. Again, the whole gospel. Taking your punishment for your sins onto himself. A punishment that would have killed you once and for all and separated you from God forever. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus brings us to God the Father himself, through his death for our sins, to reconcile us to God. His resurrection makes his triumph over sin and death certain. And through his death and resurrection, not only is the price paid for our sins, but the righteousness necessary to stand before God, to relate to God, to be an adopted child of God is given. As Paul relates in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In his book, Core 52, really good book. Mark Moore does a great job of summarizing what it takes from us to continue to experience change and to abide in the hope of change and to participate in the reality of God's great changing work in us. Because, yes, God is at work. Yes, Jesus is at work. Yes, this is the work that he has done and is doing. But we do, if we're going to experience it, need to participate in it. How do we do that? Moore points us first towards Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does this sort of transformation that I'm speaking of require of us? How do we participate in God's transformative work in, through, and for us and others? We've got to continue to bathe in and nurture ourselves in the reality of the love of God for us. That has to be what defines us. We have to abide in Christian community where reminders of that love can flow fast and free against a world hostile to and incapable of the very possibility of hope and change. It is. And in the love of God and the fellowship of the saints, the church, We have to continue to learn to submit to the Holy Spirit's hope-filling, life-changing work in us, day-to-day and moment-to-moment, because it is a work that goes on moment-by-moment. It's going on right now in you and for you. The Holy Spirit is alive and active here, now, in you, on you, for you, wanting also to be through you. Moore goes further still. How do we abide in this love of God? What shall we lean on to bind us together in fellowship? How shall we learn to surrender together to the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Moore puts it well. If the Word of God isn't in you, the world around you will permeate you. Fill yourself with the Word. We've got to saturate ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that point you directly toward God, And remind you of his goodness and truth and his hopes and his plans for you. It's got to be a part of your soundtrack. Your life soundtrack. How do we do this? How do we continue on in the love of God and the hope of real change and real freedom? Well, by serving. Because when we serve, we find Jesus already there ahead of us. Hoping we'll catch up with him. We come to know Jesus, the hope giver and the life changer, when we serve others. Again, how do we abide in the love of God? What shall we lean on to bind us together in fellowship? How shall we learn to surrender to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a circular answer to some of those questions. What shall we lean on to bind us together in fellowship? Well, we've got to abide in fellowship. Yes, we are bound together in fellowship, partly through choosing to abide in fellowship. When it's inconvenient, you abide in fellowship. When others frustrate us, I'm guessing that some of you have frustrated each other at times. Sadly, I'm guessing that you have frustrated some people who aren't here. What about you? We abide, we choose to abide in fellowship when we have disagreements with others in our fellowship. God grows us through that, through abiding. Through learning how to get through that, get to some other side, find something else to relate about. (laughs) Figure out how to live with the pain of disagreement, sometimes over things that are significant. In fellowship, you give God a chance to mediate Himself to you through others, and you give God a chance to mediate Himself through you to others. What a privilege. The outcome in both instances is life, hope, and real change in the right direction. Is there hope for you, the husband who has disappointed his wife and children, the husband who has too often spoken too harshly? the ex-husband who cheated on the woman who entrusted her life to you? Is there hope for you, the wife who is tired enough to have shut off interest or care? Is there hope for you, the wife who secretly finds herself thrilled as she once was by her husband in the company of another, or who is looking for that sort of company? Is there hope for you who feel enslaved to your sexual appetites, perhaps even happily so, Perhaps because you think your sexual appetites are just who you are and that you can't change anything relative to your sexual appetites. Is there hope for you who really, really, really wants things that you know God doesn't want for you? Is there hope for you? Is there hope for you, the one whose heart still echoes abuse and whose trauma colors your life and relationships in ways that you wish that it didn't? Can you change from being one who steals to one who is content with what you have and one who is eager to give? Can you change from being one whose lusts and desires seem to control you and lead you into all manner of destructive and lesser ways of relating to others to someone whose desires are for the right things, in the right ways, at the right times? At Rafa, we've seen girls who have been enslaved and sexually abused for months and years grow into a greater hope and freedom than most in the world can comprehend. We've seen the daughter sold by her mother into sex slavery want nothing more than to visit the prison where her mother is held and to tell her mom that she loves her and that she forgives her. Because she herself was being transformed and is being transformed by the love and forgiveness of God. We've seen girls told that they are worthless come to know that they have worth. We've seen girls who knew no one would ever want to love them because of what they've been through come to know the love of God, to be freed from those lies, and to marry and become mothers who deeply love and protect their children and community servants who protectively love those in their care. We've seen girls who were told that they deserved what they were getting. Listen to God defiantly contradict the lies of the world and come to know that they are loved by the dignity-giving God of the universe himself, defying all those lies, all those lying voices. I ask you as a congregation, listen, you've been partnering with Rafa's work for years. I want to ask you actually as individuals and family members, in this congregation, please consider partnering in this incredible work of the Lord through Rafa International. You already have as a congregation. I would ask that you please consider it as families, as individuals. Please help us bear the cost of getting Rafa's work done, and the cost is great. To be honest with you. It's not cheap to do well what we do. Counselors, social workers, lawyers, administrators, house mothers, Nurses, doctors, teachers, trainers. The cost is great, but the return is infinite. Infinitely greater than the cost. The testimony won, the world defying testimony that is won by the power of the gospel, it's worth that investment. It's worth our investment. To reach as many children as possible who have survived sex trafficking and sexual exploitation with the love and healing of Christ, and there are literally hundreds of thousands in the world for whom that is their testimony, we need literally thousands more monthly aftercare partners in this great work. We need people who want a part of their legacy to be ensuring that the love of Christ reaches to the darkest and hardest places, not the low-hanging fruit, but the fruit that's way super high up in the tree beyond where the giraffe can get it. We need people who want that to be a part of their legacy, that there might be healing and hope and renewal there. That's a legacy that changes family trees, theirs and yours. That changes how much fruit can be born on the branches of those family trees. Visit our webpage, ask me how to become a monthly aftercare partner. The bottom line is, is we need you. Again, so thankful for you as a congregation. We need you as individuals too. But I ask you now, will you let God do that same work in you today? To bring hope and life and healing and renewal. Whatever hopelessness you are tempted towards, your unique temptation towards hopelessness, we each have them, right? I know what mine are. Will you let God do that same work in you today to bring hope and life and healing and renewal in whatever ways you fear you can't otherwise change? You can change. God will be with you. Your hope is not in yourself, but in Him. Your hope that you can change is not misplaced when your hope is in the working of God in and through and for you. I want you to reflect with me on Philippians one six. what Paul tells us here. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. My hope in the change that is to come for us, for you, is not grounded finally in you or in your strength of will. My confidence is that he who began a good work in you With all the change and newness and renewal that will come with that, he will complete it. My confidence is grounded in God's purchase of you and in his power in you. Will you let him be your confidence today if you haven't already? Or if you've given up that confidence, will you let him be your confidence today? Will you allow him, if you haven't done so already, to adopt you, to make all things new, to give you a new identity and trajectory, a new beginning that ultimately only gets better? Will you live in the hope in that reality that you can and will change as you surrender to God's relentless, loving, good work in you? you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for not leaving us alone, for not leaving us unto ourselves, unto our own devices. We thank you that you are an active God and that you are a defiant God who defies our hopelessness, who sends Jesus to show us your truth, to die for our sins, to rise victoriously, to win. To show that hope and change in the right direction, in true directions, in real directions, is not only possible, but in you. It is actual. Jesus, we thank you for your love, your fidelity, your power. I pray simply that we together would surrender to you today. In Jesus' name.